the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See at the Game website, and your host for the See at the Game podcast. The Buffs have been nursing their injuries, both physical and mental, as they begin their preparations for the second half of the 2023 season. I am joined for this podcast by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we'll take a look at the first half of the season and give you our midterm grades for CU's offense, defense, special teams, and coaching staff. We'll then move on to our tips for the upcoming matchup against number 23 UCLA. Our review will look at the game from the perspectives of talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics before giving you our predictions for the game to be played before a sellout crowd in the Rose Bowl. So, the CU's prolific passing game behind record-setting quarterback Shadur Sanders deserve an A for the first half of the season? Or does the lack of a running attack tarnish the Buffs' overall grade? Does a sieve of a defense give the Buff defense a failing grade? Or does a talented secondary give the Buff nation hope for a more productive second half? Can the Buffs find a way to resurrect its rushing attack against one of the best run defenses in the country in UCLA? Or will it be Shadur or Bust for the Buffs in Pasadena? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back, and we are joined by Brad. Don't forget me. I'm still here, Geiger. How are things in Highlands Ranch? Well, I've been uh, unfortunately too busy to do enough of this this week or this fall, but uh, things will slow down a bit in about two weeks from tomorrow, and then I will be back on duty. Okay, and Neil, see you have so many yellow flags. I'm seeing red Langland down in uh, <laughs> downtown Denver. How's Neil doing today? Doing fine. Uh, liking the nice weather uh, for downtown on Larimer Square, but my heart and mind are partially up about 50 miles to the west where they're not making snow right now when they should be. <laughs> well, you should be coming a little bit further north. We're supposed to get four to eight inches between Tuesday night and Thursday morning. So if you uh, are hankering for a bit of snow and single digit temperatures, just Start driving north until you hit it, because the entire state of Montana is going to be inundated this week with snow. So the Buffs will not be playing in the snow. They'll be playing in the sunny right. confines of the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. Nice, sunny, 70-degree weather. And I see that they've taken off some more of the tarps. They had a sellout, and they've uh, added a couple thousand more seats. They figured, well, if we take the tarps off, we could sell more seats. So good for the UCLA folks to figure out how to get a sellout to expand to be a bigger sellout. But before we get to that, uh, we've hit the bye week for the University of Colorado. And before we lead into UCLA, we're going to talk about some grades for the first half of the season. The buffs are four and three. We did a preseason podcast where we went through game by game. Do you guys want to hazard a guess as to what record do you each predicted for the first half of the season? I do believe. Well, I know I picked us as a three-win team. 
Well, so we actually all all three of us had CU at four and three. Four and three. Okay. At this point, and the buffs are wait for it, four and three. <laughs> um, we all picked them to the buffs to lose to TCU. We all picked the buffs to beat Stanford. So those are the two games we got wrong. The other five we picked correctly. Uh, wins over Nebraska, CSU, and Arizona State, and losses to Oregon and USC. So apparently we know much about what we speak heading into the second <laughs> half of the season. We all had the buffs at four and three at this point. So let's talk a little bit about the offense. Uh, Brad, we'll let you start off. How would you grade the the Colorado offensive effort in the first half of the 2023 season, the first year under Coach Prime? Well, it is all that we expected and a little bit more. Certainly the passing game. We knew that Shador Sanders was going to be incredibly talented. He is even more so. Poised, intelligent, has excellent vintage, vision, um, continues to get better, using his legs better. Uh, we knew that the receiver room was incredibly talented. We underestimated how deep it was. You know, every week there's a new guy stepping up. You know, Travis Hunter is every bit as good as we thought he was. We have a tight end, which is a different <laughs> tight end than we thought we had as a tight end, who was able to actually make some plays when the time comes. I think we are a bit disappointed in the running backs, and the offensive line, sadly, has been – only slightly better than we feared. So it's a, it's a good offense. It has the potential to be a great offense if we can keep Shador off his back. Okay. Neil, give us a, a little overview of your uh, sentiment about the Colorado offense in the first seven games of the 2023 season. Start off with a quote from one of my heroes, the late, great Jimmy Buffett, and one of his <laughs> lyrics was, when the dust had settled, things were better off than I had feared. And I think that describes the situation here. Shador Sanders has been an absolute dynamo. We are one in six without him or somewhere thereabouts. He has won Forest games that really, really should not have won. And the victories that we've had have been razor thin and that difference has been Shador Sanders. Uh, I think Brad's right that our line is a big disappointment. Uh, I thought they would be a little better. Sanders, if he was not so mobile, he would have been sacked 50 times. The running backs, they have shown the ability to shake a tackle and to make every yard possible out of what the play was blocked for. So they haven't shown much in terms of yardage, but at times they've shown flashes of what they could be. Uh, the receivers, as Brad said, amazing the first line guys but it's also incredible that we've had someone step up every week and that are ready to step up uh i'm very pleased with those guys tight end has been a nice surprise we actually have a guy designated as such and who plays that position pretty well so i i kind of like what we've done on offense but boy we have some serious serious weak spots mm -hmm. okay yeah, well, and I think the play calling still needs – Sean um, Lewis has at times, I don't know, shown some problems with game management. I don't know how much that's on the head coach or that's on him. But there are times that he seems unable to adjust the game plan to the strategy of the game and to the situation in the game. For example, having a big lead. And there's, of course, he has to bear some of the responsibility for the fact that we still, with the exception of one game, start too slow. Yeah. Well, I mean, Shadur Sanders is well on his way. Probably by three more games, he will own all the single-season game records. He is within sight of the passing yards. He's within 800 yards of Seppo Lufau's record, within seven touchdown passes of his single-season record. He already is way ahead in terms of completion percentage to see if that is maintained. And completions and attempts, I mean, he's just going to pretty much rewrite all the single-season passing records at the University of Colorado. And there's been a lot of passers at the University of Colorado. Mm -hmm. But, Neil, I mean, the, 
the rushing attack you both you both touched on it is it a failure of game plan is it a failure of you know players being injured what we thought we had a really deep running backs room and yet that's been one of the disappointments so far i think the running backs are as talented as we thought they would be I'm a little surprised that some of the transfers that came in that had good reputations and are talented really haven't seen many carries. It seems that Dylan Edwards is getting the lion's share of the snaps. Not sure why that is, but I'd like to see a little more variety back there. I'd like to see perhaps a larger back like Smoke at 210 pounds, 215, get a few carries, see what he can do behind that line, maybe push the pile a little bit. They've been fine coming out of the backfield, catching with a, a few exceptions. So I think that they're a good room with talent, but no group, honestly, and not to be too harsh, running behind that line in that scheme could do much better than they have done. They're often hit right at the line of scrimmage in any yards that they get or yards after contact or Edwards. Uh, makes two or three guys miss and gets five yards. I mean, that's that's just not a well-blocked play. Uh, we can judge them when we have a more integrated so, uh, offensive line in terms of playing together for a while, as well as um, perhaps being better in the scheme, perhaps with, as Brad says, some changes in the scheme. I've been a big advocate for that. I think the running backs – are a yet untapped resource. Okay. Well, Brad, I, I shied away from giving Neil the offensive line discussion because um, <laughs> I want this to be a family program, keep it uh, G-rated, but it's pretty reasonable to say that some of CU's offensive problems, uh, we knew the offensive line wasn't going to be deep. We knew the offensive line was going to be patchwork. We knew the offensive line, obviously, hasn't had time to gel as a unit because they're all new, at least working together. Is there something that can come of this? I mean, Savion Washington's back practicing, going to be back in the starting lineup for UCLA, but it's more than one guy, isn't it? Oh, unquestionably, although, you know, Van Wells has been hurt, Savion Washington's been hurt. They've never found a time to really gel. Um, and again, as you pointed out, they're not deep. So when you have to go to the next line, there's a drop-off. And even, you know, Washington's capable of being probably as good a pass blocker as there is, but the interior of the line does not move people. We are simply not big enough and strong enough in some places. So I think that's going to be a continuing problem. They're getting, despite the sacks, they're, I think, getting better at pass blocking, but it's still, it's, in this case, it's some X's and O's, but a lot of it's Jimmy's and Joe's. We didn't, we're not as good there as we need to be. Okay. Well, Neil, boil it down to a letter for me. What would you, what grade before we move on to the defense, what grade would you give the offensive effort for the the first half of the 23 season? Uh, I'm going to go with an E minus. The excellent part we've talked about, the minus part is that we haven't been able to tap a lot of the resources that we have and, and the binding constraint seems to be performance of the offensive line, which may be a talent issue. It may be a scheme issue. We seem to always have five blockers in and the defense has six in the box or more. You know, we've got to find some way to get around that. And I'm not sure that the coaches have adjusted. So I'm not real happy with, what they have done in terms of in-game adjustments and in-game plans, as you mentioned. So um, if some of those things were to improve, it would be an E. And I don't want to sound like an ogre because we're scoring much better than we have in years. And they're absolutely fun to watch at times on offense. Amazing at times. But in terms of hard light of day assessment, that's the best I can do. So you gave him A minus, was that? An E minus for excellent. Okay. Brad, what grade did you uh, give the offense for the first seven games of the season? And I'm trying to be, I'm trying to keep in perspective. 
because this offense is much better than we expected. We thought it would take longer than this to gel. So if you're going on an ABC, this is a B-plus offense with the capacity to be a solid A if we could just give Sanders a little bit more time. Um, so we have to remember that. Um, you know, this is an offense that can compete in the back in the Pac-12 with another year. It will compete very well in the Big 12. Yeah. Well, it's right now it's the fifth highest scoring team in the CU history up there with the 89 team, the 95 team, the 94 team. Those are all 11 win teams. So um, it's also up there with the 1905 team, which scored 39.9 points per game. But I don't even want to look back and see if there was some games against, you know, Mines or, you know, Colorado <laughs> College or something in that resort. But uh, 34.4 points per game, 29th in the nation. Pretty darn good compared to what the 15.4 we were getting last year. So, Neil, I'll give you the first crack at the, the defense. Not quite as rosy a picture. What what uh, what did you have on uh, the defensive side of the ball for the first half? Uh, I think a D-plus overall is about the best I can do. And the problem there is, again, the line, even though it has improved. Uh, the linebacking core, the outside linebackers have not pressured the way we had hoped. The inside guys are getting tied up by the guards and tackles and not getting off blocks. Safeties have been fine, especially when they walk one of those guys down into the box, like they've been doing with number 43. I think that works well. The corners have been, up until the last game, a very strong position and played well. For some reason, and again, this may be scheme and lack of adjustment, but they got torched against the last guy. So I think the corners are probably a C to a C plus overall. And that, that means playing without Travis. With Travis in there the whole time, they'd be much higher. Let's see. The run defense, um, I, I just don't know what to say about it, honestly, that we can't seem to stop anybody, uh, even though at times we've made key stops. The last couple of games, we've just been giving up yards and chunks. What I'm worried about with the defense is that the coaching staff clearly is not impressed or is not satisfied with the talent that can play two downs or three downs. That's why we're seeing these hockey line changes on second and third down. Uh, the logistics of that have to be horrific. And it has been a nightmare having some of those uh, substitution penalties nullify a stop that would have resulted in a punt. It's, that has to be fixed. And that's on coaches and players and I think that's one of the main reasons that I've downgraded them we have steadily declined in our game management on defense in the first game we looked smooth as could be and it's gotten worse ever since the penalties on defense the offside the substitution the other stuff that's inexcusable and by this time of the year it should be better so I, I think they're barely a passing grade but there is much room for improvement there, both, I guess, in personnel as well as in coaching and scheme and adjustment. Okay. Well, Brad, I mean, the numbers certainly don't lend too much for, uh, for on the optimism side of things. The Buffs still have managed to win four games despite the defense, but uh, are there any bright lights in this defense or is it all, all negative? Are we all doom and gloom at this point and worried about the, the next five games? Well, we can be worried about the next five games. I do like to remind people that there's a couple pretty good offenses that we've played. You know, that that those those guys uh, throwing the ball at Oregon and, and USC, pretty good. So, you know, one we, we've given up a lot of points to some really good offenses. We've given up a lot of points to some not really good offenses. You know, there are frustrations – when Travis Hunter is in, I think we're much more, that's a much more dynamic unit. I think there are signs of improvement from our younger guys. So I'm probably a C minus, not much higher than Neil, just trying to thinking about some of the offenses we played, but you know, we're very much going to see 
The mistakes that we were made were made in the last game are inexcusable. Uh, we've had some really stupid penalties, just really dumb penalties. You know, and some penalties of aggression, some penalties of really stupid aggression. So, you know, I think we knew that the linebacker is going to be a problem. Um, we are very inconsistent by getting pressure on quarterbacks. And it feels like the only way we can get pressure on quarterbacks is to rush more guys. And then the run defense suffers. Not an unusual circumstance. You know, some guy, there are guys who can certainly play. Shiloh, Travis, McCain, Marvin Ham's having a nice year. In part because he's the only linebacker making any tackles. Um, so it's it's frustrating. I think it's pretty clear we're not going to win a lot of 17, 15, 14 games. That's just not how we're going to do it. <laughs> You know, so it's it's a matter of we're going to have to make a few more plays and let the offense make the plays if we're going to win, you know, the couple more games that we need. Yeah. Well, Neil, the thing that stood out to me when I was doing the math on this, in terms of yards allowed, he was giving up 473.7 yards per game. The 2022 team was worst in CU history, gave up a little over 509 yards a game. The 2012 team, which probably was the CU's worst team in history before 2022, gave up 488. And the 1980 team, which you and I lived through, the 82-42, 56 to nothing in the first game at halftime against UCLA on the road in that same Rose Bowl, gave up fewer yards, 464 yards per game than this team's giving up this year. So is it the secondary isn't as good as we thought? We thought that the secondary might be able to just shut down. We have shut down corners. We have Amari and Cooper and you know, Carter Stoutmeyer played well, you know, for a while as a, as a true freshman. We thought Cormani McLean would be a shutdown corner. Travis has been hurt. But wasn't the idea, at least building from the outside in, that we were going to have a decent secondary that would force teams to – not be able to play one-on-one -on, -one on on the outside, and that would give our safeties and linebackers the ability to get to runners and quarterbacks. Is that where the failure is? Is the secondary not as good as we thought, or has it just been too banged up to show us its true potential? Well, a, a number of things. I think in some of my comments, I was sort of assigning all of the, the blame or the credit or the responsibility to the corners and safeties when perhaps a lack of pass rush has contributed to the completions and the yardage that secondary has given up. Uh, as Brad mentioned, and as you just did, we have had some of our top players not available. The secondary is only as good perhaps beyond its individual talent as the talent in front of it that's going to stop the run and rush the passer. So with that in mind, I think the secondary is going to be fine. We knew that building from the outside in was going to take time, that this is at least a two-year transformation. So the problems that we're encountering are entirely reasonable and expected. And quite honestly, I think the secondary is better than I thought it would be, even with the players that you mentioned. And I think that they have shown flashes of what they can be. They just need more support from up front, actually. And that should come in the second year, hopefully, as we're able to upgrade talent on the interior line and interior linebackers. Okay. Well, I do want to move on to UCLA, but I want to give a chance to for you guys to talk about coaching and or special teams. Brad, you won the toss. Um, would you rather talk about grading the coaching staff and its efforts the first half of the year or talk a little bit about special teams and your impressions of special teams for the first half of the year? I'll let Neil take take on the coaches. Um, <laughs> oh, that was not what I was hoping for. <laughs> you know, for special teams, you know, obviously switching kickers isn't good. Um, and that's been a problem. I do. One of the reasons I picked this is I kind of want to call out that I think our punting game has gotten much better. I think our punter is, is above average. Our coverage is getting better. You know, 
we're not given big kickoffs usually. Um, the field goals aren't great, but I, you know, I'm satisfied with our special teams. I will let Neil deal mostly with the coaches. I think, however, my note would be that this is clearly a staff that is in its first year. Um, and okay. there appear to be communication issues. There appear to be certainly time management issues and concerns about that. So I think there is definitely room for prime at all to improve. Okay. Well, I mean, the punter is gotten very good at leaving punts inside the five yard line. Now, if the defense could just not give up 97 yard drives would mm -hmm. make the, uh, the punting game all the better and a punt return helped uh, and a long field goal won the game against Arizona state. So there have been special team moments. So Neil, what do you think about the CU coaching staff strategies? How would you grade the Colorado coaching staff for the first half of the season? Brad kind of intimated that it's a first-year coaching staff and there's a little bit of grace period in there, but these are all well-respected coaches. We're all very excited about the coaching staff heading into the season, but mistakes are being made. Here's what I would like to say about the coaching staff, and I do have a couple – of minor things to add to the special teams thing is they have done a fabulous job recruiting. Um, given what Colorado has been the past few years, they've been terrific. The profile of the program of the team of the university is a result of the coaching staff that we have. And they are actually reinventing the paradigm for college coaching uh, that Prime is doing. And that's, by promoting himself, he is promoting the university. He never fails to mention the university, even in his commercials that we see during the game, always promoting the university. So some of the exposure the Buffs have seen is in, I think, great proportion attributable to his personality. The coaches that he have chosen, I think, if given the talent that they need to run their systems will prove out. Recall back years ago during the Gary Barnett era, one year, Sean Watson, the OC, was a genius. Two years later, after the talent pool had um, dissipated so much, he was a bum and was fired. So <sighs> coaching performance is partially a function of talent. So I think we have to give them an incomplete grade and note some of the weaknesses that we already have, such as their logistics and perhaps some of the lack of adaptation and maybe just a lack of overall discipline, which results in senseless penalties, you know? But I would give them overall at this point a B plus, perhaps even an A minus. Now to the special teams for a moment, um, the place kicking has been irregular. I think that when assessing our kicking, we also have to examine some of the other things, like the blocked kicks earlier. Some of them may have been low kicks. Some of them were just poor blocking. Uh, it seemed to we, that we have addressed the blocking issues, but maybe we need to refine a little bit more uh, the snapping and holding portion of it. What I can't understand is why we can't find a kicker that will do one or at least two of the following, which is keep the ball in bounds on kickoffs and, you know, maybe put the ball in the end zone once in a while. So that's my special teams comment. And I, I really don't want to sound overly harsh here, but I think this staff has done well. What remains the biggest question mark for me is what happened the second half of our last game when the life just went out of the buffs. They seem to have turned the switch off a couple minutes before halftime. And I don't know what that's about. And it's going to be the biggest challenge going forward for the coaching staff to get the players back on track. So. Okay. Well, that's a, a good segue because we got to move on to our tips for the UCLA game. Number 23rd ranked UCLA Bruins on the road, the sellout crowd which will probably have a lot of CU fans, I would imagine, since they only had 34,000 for their last home game. Buffs are 17-point underdogs. So let's talk a little bit about T for talent. Brad, what stood out to you for the UCLA Bruins 
with regards to what the Buff fans are going to see on Saturday evening on ABC National Television. When UCLA plays well, they are a pretty complete team. They're not a great offense, but they're really good. They're not a great defense, but they're pretty good. Um, you know, Chip Kelly's been there long enough that he should be. We don't know who's starting a quarterback. At least we didn't as, as of today, I don't think. But, I mean, this team has played well. They are a legitimate top 25 team. Their running game is pretty solid. They block better than we do. They're pretty good up front. Up front. It's just what strikes me is kind of the top to bottom. Everybody they put on the field is a full-on Pac-12 starter and probably an above-average Pac-12 starter. Um, they don't have, you know, the explosive talent that Oregon has or that USC has on the offensive side of the ball, but they do most things really good, and they have guys at most positions who can do what they have to do. Okay. Neil, anything that uh, stood out to you about the UCLA offense? Chip Kelly came out today, said he has not naming a starting quarterback to keep everybody guessing. It was Dante Moore. Well, the first of the year, it was Ethan Garbers, who had been a four-star recruit out of Washington, signed with the Huskies, then transferred to UCLA. Then freshman phenom Dante Moore came in, went three straight games throwing a pick six. Apparently, that's not a good idea. And so Ethan Garbers started against Stanford and played well in the 42-7 to win over the Cardinal. What do you think about uh, – UCLA and what they're bringing to the table against the Buffs that makes them a three-score favorite? Well, I, I did manage to grab a, a recent depth chart. And, you know, height and weight aren't everything. But I've also got some limited film, uh, watched part of their games and saw some a small sample of the offense and the defense. Without getting into the stats, their center of their defensive line is – quite large um, and they're very good at stopping the run they have a guy that has a lot of sacks and has done well pressuring the passer on the offense their line is not huge but they're mobile and they play well together they have a very good tight end target that is six seven and 250 you know the prototype type of um tight end that we see in this conference frequently. And they have a couple of backs that are speedy, mobile, and well-sized. I, I think that that's a good matchup against our run defense. And their run defense is a good matchup against our running game. They're not quite as skilled in the secondary or with their linebackers, but I think CU, if it is to do well, it's talent is going to match up well with UCLA's past defenders. Okay. Well, the rushing attack, I mean, names people want to keep in mind. Carson Steele had three touchdowns against Stanford. He has six, almost 600 yards rushing this season. CU as a team has 604 yards rushing. TJ Harden has 388 yards rushing and four more touchdowns. Steele has nine rushing touchdowns. On defense, the name that we're going to hear, I'm afraid, way too often I'm going to get the name wrong. Leiatu Latu is a first-team All-Pac-12 player. Already has almost a, almost a double digits in sacks and is going to be a terror for us. And there's another linebacker that's first-team All-Pac-12, Darius Muasso. Again, another name we're probably going to hear. I'm going to learn how to pronounce when we hear the coverage of this weekend. But, Brad, I mean, you're talking about this is the number one rushing defense in the country going up against one of the bottom 10 rushing offenses in the country, which means it's going to be passing game or bust, right? Is that what CU's got to do? As opposed to the rest of our games? Um, <laughs> no, I mean, to to win this game, to be in this game. Shadur's got to have another game like he's capable of. We're gonna have to gonna have to break some plays. Gonna have to beat him deep, which I think is possible if we can give him some time. 
you know, and the only rushing game that is likely to work is Shadur, but these guys stay in their lanes pretty well. So it, it does feel like, feels a lot like a yards after catch. If Travis or Xavier can break some tackles on some shorter passes to give Shadur a chance of staying alive, then that's feels like what we're going to have to do. I do not feel like this is a game where we're going to win and, you know, have a lot of 10 play scoring drives. Yeah. A lot of three play 75 yard drives that, uh, include a 57 yarder in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Neil, moving on to the eye of tips for intangibles, anything that, uh, stands out to you as far as helping either team one way or the other? UCLA seems to have momentum. Um, Stanford took what momentum CU had in the first half and transferred that to UCLA the following week. They're playing pretty well. They've they've had some very good games. I think they seem to be on track now. And my sense is that they now seem to be who they are and who they can be, and that's a pretty good team. The intangibles favor uh, UCLA, especially with a big crowd coming in. That's got to help them. Uh, as I mentioned in the Segway comments that it's unknown, really, what the psyche, what the heart and mind of a, the CU team is collectively. And if CU can bring itself back to the pitch and concentration and focus that it had for TCU, this could be a good game. Uh, I think Brad's right that it's going to be a passing game. I think Shadur probably has to realize he's going to have to run the ball and probably throw for 450 if CU's going to have a chance. Okay. Brad, anything that stands out to you uh, off the field that might have an influence on the field? You know, we're, we keep trying to figure out what this team, it, what its character is about. They could have lost to CSU and kept trying and won the game. Um, they laid an egg against Oregon and then came back and played an excellent game against the USC team that they should have been blown out by. They played a great half against Stanford and then a not-so-great half. They were subjected to some really serious criticism nationwide and inside the building. Um, They've had two weeks to think about it. We will now find out what this team is worth. I don't, you know, not to cut a a preview, I don't think this is a game we are likely to win. But if this team comes out and plays hard, um, and shows a lot of heart, then we'll figure out kind of what the staff is like. We'll find out if they're, you know, if what we saw was more show. I don't think it is. I think there is a chance that some of those guys were listening a little bit more to their press clippings than were necessary, uh, which happens. It happens to a lot of teams. So I think CU is going to come out and show more character and more heart. I see this more as a... USC game than a UC, than a uh, Oregon game. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'd echo what you guys are saying as far as intangibles that, you know, what sort of psyche the buffs will have if they either do well or don't do well. If they do well, you know, we've already proven that 29 to nothing lead is not safe. So how would they react if they come out fast and start doing well? Will they be able to keep that up? Conversely, if things start going south, Will there be the here we go again mentality that has been the hallmark of Colorado teams for the last 15 years or so? Um, the only other intangible, uh, again, I mentioned the kind of the crowd is going to be over 70,000 now that they've torn off a couple more tarps. And a good chunk of that's going to be CU fans. So if CU can actually get going in this game, uh, I saw a tweet from Brian Howell of uh, – the Boulder Daily Camrys went during the Arizona State game. He said he wasn't in a good position to see the last second field goal. And he said he wasn't sure if the field goal went through or not because the crowd was cheering so loud. He thought that Mott had actually missed the field goal, but there were so many CU fans in the stands at Sun Devil Stadium that there was a bunch of cheering going on. So if the, you know, if the bus can play well early, they can get the crowd, the buff crowd behind them. And, you know, potentially turn it into kind of a home game. So we shall see. 
Brad, preparation P for preparation schedule, bi-week, any other preparation issues, benefits, necessarily positive or negative about uh, coming into this game? Well, you know, CU has been banged up and they aren't deep. So they're, you know, more time. I, I agree with Prime. It's not great to sit there on that battle loss, but we're healthier. Um, so I think that matters a lot. Other than that, I think it's, you know, it's not like UCLA was, you know, looking past Stanford at CU. They're going to be prepared for this game. But I do think there is, I think there is an advantage to having had the time to get healthy. And, uh, you know, hopefully the coaches did some introspection and have uh, some new stuff to show. Okay. Neil, you you concur? Anything plus out of the uh, the bye week or any other preparation issues that you can see coming into the game? I think it's good that they've had time to rest and repair and to contemplate, as Brad mentioned. Uh, they need to do all of those things. They had four days off get away from everything and come back fresh. That's going to be very helpful. I think the coaches have had time to evaluate everything that has happened up to this point, especially second half of Stanford. And I'm sure they've devised a practice scheme and some other adjustments and changes that they may make to our approach. So I'm expecting to see some fresh stuff, uh, maybe variations on old stuff. But I'm expecting to see a CU team that's going to come out that's ready to play um, as it was at the very top of the season. I, I think that um, I'm confident that the coaches can get them to where they need to be, be psychologically. It's going to give Travis another extra week to recover. I don't think he was quite himself last uh, game. And I'm expecting a lot from him. And Honestly, I, I just think that this game is going to hinge on their mental attitude and their focus. And if they can do that, I think it's going to be close, honestly. Okay. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the staff has done. Okay. Well, I look back, and oddly enough, I mean, CU, despite all of its troubles, actually three and one coming off a of bye week the last four years. In 2020, there wasn't a bye week, but won its only game of the year last year against Cal coming off a of bye week, uh, defeated Arizona 34 to nothing on a four and eight season in 2021 coming off a of bye week, barely lost Arizona 35, 30 off a of bye week in 2019 and 2017, another five and seven year defeated that same UCLA team 38 to 16, probably the best game of that season. So again, new coaching staff, new players has nothing to do with anything, but two, which is not, had a bunch of good records in the last number of years is actually three and one coming off bye weeks. And I don't know about UCLA. They, they don't have to play Oregon and Washington this year. I don't know how they manage the schedule. They miss both Oregon and Washington from the North and they have Arizona, Arizona state, a down USC team now and Cal left. So, you know, they've got some momentum in their schedule looking forward. If they can keep things going, they might be a 10 and two team this year. Neil, we'll come back to you for, for stats. Anything that stood out to you in terms of real numbers for this game? I've read Howell and others that say, this is the week that we're going to revive our running game. I, I don't <laughs> think it's possible this week, honestly. Other stats that get... Uh, my attention, UCLA, uh, their rush offense is ranked eighth in the nation. Um, that's not another good matchup for us. Uh, I hope our defensive coaches have some adjustments. Our run defense has improved the past three or four games. Let's see if it can take another jump. Uh, that could be key if we can slow down their rushing game. I think we might be able to take advantage of their quarterback if they start the freshman. Overall, um, I think CU just has to concentrate on what it does well, and it throws the ball well. It's ranked third in the country, I think, in many passing stats uh, on average. They need to concentrate on that, and to do that, they need to focus on their strengths, their receivers, 
the running backs out of the backfield and try to negate the advantage that UCLA, UCLA has in its statistical rankings in defense and their pass offense. So those are the ones that matter. I'm not going to recite them, but those are the ones that I think are the vital statistics and matchups. Okay, Brad, we got, I don't know, which is more scary that UCLA is in the top 10 in scoring defense or that maybe CU is last in the nation in penalty yards. Any any stats that uh, stood out to you in looking at this game? Well, I mean, UCLA has been, you know, schizophrenic on offense, schizophrenic on defense. Their only real complete game was against Stanford last week. You know, they can give up points. Um, they gave up a lot to Oregon State. Um, they can also have complete shutdown games like they get against Utah. So if we can, you know, they're 50th in the country in passing yards allowed. And that includes, you know, a game against Utah where I think there were about seven combined. Um, <laughs> so I think there is, I think there is room here for us to, for Shooter Sanders to have a moment. Um, I think there is room for our wide receivers to be better than their secondary. So it's, you know, as we said, it's our pass offense against their pass defense. And, you know, I don't know that the 50th ranked pass defense is exactly excited about playing against us. Okay. Well, let's move on to your predictions for the game. Brad, you get to go first. Uh, how do you see it playing out? And on the 17-point spread, who do you see uh, winning this game and by how much? I think – in a neutral site, this is more like a seven-point game. I think people are a little bit concerned about us going on the road, uh, being distracted by the L.A. glitz and glamour. I think CU is capable of playing a close game, although I do think UCLA is generally a better team and better at home. If we can start better than we have, um, I can see this being something along the lines of a – 24-35 UCLA game. I just, I don't know that we can get over that. I think if we could score 35 points, we could win this game. I just don't quite see it happening. Okay, so 35-24 UCLA. Neil, how do you see it playing out on Saturday, 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on ABC with Chris Fowler, I assume, on the call? Mm -hmm. Well, playing in the stadium, that is the granddaddy of them all. I think Brad's right on in the, the neighborhood in terms of the score. I, I think CU is going to go 27. They'll probably have a couple of field goals in there. And I'm going to say that I think UCLA scores 31. But that CU avoids getting run out of the gym the first quarter as it did against Oregon. And that they may start slowly again on offense but they'll build over the course of the day and they'll be able to, to score uh, more in the second half and make it close. And I think Shadour is probably going to get his 420 plus yards passing, probably get sacked three or four times. Um, and he's probably going to be their leading rusher again. That's pretty yeah. said. Yeah. Well, I saw, I mean, I'm, my concern is that they're just going to try methodically wear down the CU defense Against Stanford, UCLA, if Chip Kelly's not happy with his quarterbacks, he's going to want to run the ball. They ran 54 times against Stanford for over 220 yards, held the ball for 37 minutes a game clock. Shadur Sanders can't throw for 400 yards if he's only on the field for 23 minutes. And that's my concern. Unless so you can come up with those three or five play drives, you know, get some long passes, get some explosion plays. I don't think that there are going to be enough possessions there for CU to score against the team that's, you know, number 10 in the country in scoring defense. I have it as UCLA 34 to 20. So we're all pretty much in the same neck of the woods. We all have a UCLA victory, but Colorado covering the 17-point spread. So we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. And then we'll be back next week to talk about Pac-12 After Dark. 
another 8 p.m. kickoff for the Oregon yeah. State game. Um, Coach Prime won't like that, but it is what it is. Another nationally televised game. And meanwhile, Oregon will be playing its, wait for it, fourth game on the Pac-12 networks. So Colorado's had every game nationally televised by a national network. And number eight, number seven, Oregon, we playing its fourth game on the Pac-12 networks next week. So the poll of Coach Prime has not been diminished despite CU's losses of late. So it's CU is not hard to find, at least in terms of looking on your dial to uh, watch the game. So we'll be watching, and we'll see how they do on ABC on national television, and we'll talk again next week. So thanks, guys, for your efforts, and we will we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Stu. Thanks, guys. Go Buffs. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation. I hope you're subscribing to the podcast so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See With The Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See You With The Game website. I'll be back next week with Neil and Brad, and we will give you our review of the UCLA game, as well as our preview of CU's latest Pac-12 After Dark game, a homecoming 8 p.m. kickoff against Oregon State. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will again see you at the game.